0: How do you find
1: and keep hope alive?
0: My wife and I, we had open and consistent conversations about this very topic with our boys because we knew that they would have friends who were gay. And so what we try to teach our boys is you can love that person and disagree with their lifestyle. And as a Christian, you need to be willing to and ready to give an answer when they ask you what you believe and why. This is what hope sounds like.
1: I'm Doc and Clayton King is here from Clayton King Ministries. Let's jump right in actually chip ingram just recently on uh, one of his teaching podcasts on the light fm talked about he had a guest on who had some research that talked about millennials 10 percent self-identifying as lbgtq somewhere in that range of letters and then gen z as high as 20 percent identifying in that um, uh, same place and this is an ongoing angst for parents of what do we do with this? The government is saying, teach them this, and the parents, some of them, are saying no. And there's also this uh, transgender issue that's going on. So in a
0: big, big scope of things, where does all this fit? And what do we do with it? You know, I think for myself as a parent of a teenager, I have a 21 year old and 18 year old, Shari and I have had these conversations multiple times. And I can think about this as a pastor. I can think about this as an evangelist because I am those two things. But for me as a dad, this really hits home. And one of the things I think it's important for us to remember is that when someone does identify as anything, we can have a knee jerk reaction as a parent so if your child says to you, I'm questioning my sexuality or I'm questioning my gender, or maybe I want to transition. The first thing that we always want to lead with as a parent is love. We want our children to know, I love you. I love you no matter what you do. I love you no matter who you say you are. You'll always be my son. You'll always be my daughter. And I think that is a way that we communicate the love of God to our children at the same time. And it's possible to do both of these as a Christian, And as a parent, I think it's important that we teach our children and that we instruct our kids. One of the things that we do as a ministry at Crossroads is we have access to tens of thousands of teenagers through our summer camps and our conferences, through our speakers and our events. And we want to make sure that we're always kind when we talk about these issues, but that we're also always clear when it comes to these issues. And what we want to be able to do as parents is to say to our children, let me hear how you feel. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're going through. And then after we've listened to them and loved them in that way, then we love them by instructing them through scripture. We show them that God designed you so God gets to define you. If you're born a female, then that was God's decision because Psalm 119 tells us that he knew us before we were ever even born, that he formed, Psalm 139, he formed us in our mother's womb. And so God made us in his image. We are all image bearers of God. So as a parent, I think it's important to always remember those two words, kind and clear. We want to be kind to our teenagers, to our children when they come to us with these struggles, but we also want to be clear to let them know God loves you just like you are, but God's unconditional love of anyone is not the same thing as his unconditional conditional acceptance of their behavior. Let me
1: back up just a little bit on that, because when that happens, that that scenario that you laid out, child comes and says, I'm having issue with my identity. That's a bold, overcoming fear moment for that child. Then comes rushing in the fear for the parent of all of the preconceived ideas of what that really means, what what the imagination tells you where your child has been or is going. Can you talk to the parents a little bit about that fear piece? Because that that's that reactionary piece where you're talking about always be kind. I think it comes from that fear part. Yeah. It's like, ah, my kid just told me they're gay or whatever. Right. And now I'm totally freaked out. So what do I do in that moment? Where do I go? How do I, how do I navigate? I think maybe is where I'm going with that. I just
0: want to encourage parents, your knee jerk reaction, mine would be probably the same as, as 99% of most parents. Oh my goodness. What am I supposed to do now? And so I just want to encourage you as a parent that when your child tells you something that bothers you, freaks you out, makes you go into an emotional panic, that's an opportunity for you in that moment to lean on the Holy Spirit. It's also an opportunity for parents right now to think, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ who knows what I believe about these issues? Do I know what the Bible actually says about God's design? Could I go to scripture to show my children that God has made male and female. It's not just enough to say, well, you're not that way. Just change. We need to know what the Bible says and we need to know the tone of the voice of our Heavenly Father that, that even Jesus said in John 3:16 and 17, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And hey, as parents, we all know this. well, I hope we do. If you don't already know this, I'm telling you that the conversation around sexuality, is now the dominant social conversation that our children are having. It's around them every day. Their friends are talking about it. Media's talking about it. Politics and politicians are talking about it. Talking heads on the news are talking about it. The last thing a parent should do is be silent and passive. We can't be in neutral on this. We have to disciple our children to know the love of God, but also the wisdom of God to design male and female and to be able to go to scripture as parents and not just farm this out to the pastor or the youth pastor. I know as a pastor, oftentimes I get the phone call (laughs) when a parent says, my teenager just came to me and says they're transgender. What do I tell them? And what do I do? And I'm always happy to take that phone call. But what I really hope to say to parents is you need to be ready for that conversation way before it happens. And that's a result of your own discipleship and your own time with Jesus, your own time in the word and your own preparation to actually guide your children with clarity and with kindness as their parent.
1: Hitting it head on, I think is one of the things that you've kind of introduced here of not, not avoiding the subject. Um, And so what comes next to mind is that there are pastors out there that are in fear as well. And they have a different scenario. They're not the parents, but they are the pastor. And they've got all these other inputs and and issues. And, you know, you're you're not just preaching the gospel. You're running a church or whatever you're doing. So um, how would you encourage other pastors when they're in this scenario where a good portion of their church, they're
0: going to have it. The numbers are there now. What I want to encourage pastors to do is in your daily time with the Lord, as you pray, pray for boldness and courage, but also pray for wisdom. This issue isn't going to go away when it comes to human sexuality and how everything, even basic reality now is being redefined in front of our very eyes. And it seems like there is an effort to indoctrinate our children at a very young age into a certain worldview when it comes to gender and sexuality. And our job as Christians is to represent Jesus well. Our job as pastors is to let people know that God loves you. So I want to encourage pastors have um have the heart of a shepherd but have the courage of a shepherd as well because that's what it means to be a pastor a pastor is a shepherd and shepherds would love their sheep tend to their sheep care for their sheep with gentleness and kindness but shepherds were also willing to be tough when they had to be to protect their sheep against the wolves so as pastors it's very important that when we speak to this issue that we speak very clearly but we also speak with great compassion Because it's not going to be easy to convince a person that what you believe from the Bible, when it goes against everything the culture is telling them is true, is actually better than what the culture is telling them. One of the things that I believe is that the church should be the most welcoming place. It doesn't mean that we affirm sin, it means that we welcome people because all of us are sinners. One more thought on this, and that is simply when you're a pastor or a preacher and you stand in front of people. We don't ever want to just single out one sin. There are lots of other sins. There, there are so many sins from greed to anger to drunkenness. I mean, we can just open up the Bible and point to a passage and we can find acts of wickedness and unrighteousness. We believe that all of these sins can be forgiven. And we believe that in Jesus, no matter how you were born, you can be born again. And that's the message of hope that we have as pastors to share with people. You don't have to live in confusion. You don't have to live in brokenness. There's hope for you. You can be born again.
1: It's that attitude that is a church attitude, unfortunately, I think anyway, um, and you've kind of addressed it here about um, one sin versus another, and for whatever reason there is a a um, culture Christian culture fear of homosexuality that somehow some way it is more grievous than than the others that the other sins that are out there yeah and it's a great point to just to say no that, that what's the what's the cliche I hate the sin, not the sinner. Right. Yeah. Um, I had another question here about um, the, uh, the master of the obvious of why is this happening? Now, you've said a little bit about media and schools and sometimes government of pushing this agenda, but... Um, is there a specific thread that you can see? And then the second part of that question is,
0: is there a biblical application to all this of why it's happening? Well, you know, when you look at the numbers of people that self-profess as LGBTQ+, plus, you can see that those numbers have doubled and even tripled over the last few years. So even recently, I, I, I read a similar study to the one that you just quoted, that among millennials, it's now almost 20%. And when you think about social contagions, you think about trends, you think about how things are popular in one generation. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. All you have to do is turn on the TV and you see that there is an aggressive agenda that's being pushed. Now, some people would say, well, we should, because we should believe in all equality of all genders and all proclivities. But we know I'm 50 years old. I I can tell um, from personal experience that this is not just a conversation we're having in neutral, that this is a worldview that is now becoming accepted. And there's pressure being put on all of us to accept things that we believe as Christians are not right and are not holy. Now, what that doesn't mean is it it doesn't mean that we get to be mean-spirited, hateful towards people who are different than us, but it also means that we should have the courage to not just stand our ground for what we believe, but to lovingly communicate why we believe that God's design is best. And that's why I believe it's going to take courage and wisdom for pastors and leaders to speak out about this. And when it comes to parents, I would encourage you as a parent don't wait until your children come to you with questions about this. Teach them about this before they become indoctrinated or pushed by some sort of agenda. My wife and I homeschooled our children for seven years and then they went to public school. And our boys are following the Lord now at 18 and 21 years old. But we had open and consistent conversations about this very topic with our boys because we knew that they would have friends who were gay. We knew that they would have friends that were trans. We knew that. And so what we tried to teach our boys is you can love that person and disagree with their lifestyle. And as a Christian, you need to be willing to and ready to give an answer when they ask you what you believe and why.
1: Is history repeating itself? I think about the uh, 60s and 70s and the drug culture and uh, free love and all of those things that happened in the 60s and 70s that really um, gave birth to kind of where we are today are we in a parallel thing now with, with this new, some people even call it a religion, the, the, the um, worldview
0: on sexuality? Are we doing the same thing over and over again? Well, you know, I, it makes me think about Galatians 6. Galatians 6, Paul said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And so when you look back, even sociologically speaking to the cultural revolution of the 1960s, And the sex revolution of the 1960s, free love, uh, 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 no fault divorce laws, we have now normalized what we normalized 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, with affairs, sleeping around, sex before marriage, adultery, those things were normalized. And now here we are, and the harvest is coming in. The, the fields are now what we look out and see in our culture, where I believe in my lifetime, we'll see things legalized that would have been unthinkable even 10 years ago. We've, we've legalized um, marriage that's, we've legalized gay marriage. And who's to say now, because we've moved the, you know, we, we've moved the goalpost. Who's to say now that three men can't be married or one man, wants to marry eight people. If human happiness is the only thing that counts, then what that will eventually do is, is filter into our legal system. And you can't tell anyone that they can't marry anyone. And eventually, God forbid, what's to stop an adult from marrying a child?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, coming from California and dealing with the laws that they are trying to pass, and some of them they have in the state of California that most of the country isn't aware of, but they have a saying in California, as goes California, goes the nation. Uh, so a good good point to pay attention. But some of them are along those lines of, pe- of legalizing pedophilia and, and polygamy and all of it. It's, it's craziness.
0: Well, it's the argument of the slippery slope. And what I've learned is that the slippery slope argument is real. It's true. When you start down a slippery slope and you start sliding, it's hard to stop the slide. And I've no, I know that in my life, I've observed that when someone says, oh, there's no such thing as the slippery slope, you can almost set your clock and you can bet that the slippery slope argument is real. When we begin to, um, to move the goalposts, anything really does go. And so what I want to equip people to do, I want to encourage parents and pastors and leaders to do is know what you believe, know why you believe it, stand firm, don't give an inch but be kind in the way that you communicate it. And, and when you see the brokenness of our culture, let it break your heart. I think, I, think, I think the temptation for us is to take a posture of anger. And the temptation for Christians is to take a posture of being the moral police of our culture. The, the posture that we see Jesus have over the city of Jerusalem when he, when he was about to be crucified by the people he loved is he wept. He he literally he he literally overlooked the city at a place in Jerusalem called Dominus Flavit. I've been there many, many times. It's tradi- the traditional place where Jesus said, "Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, you city that persecuted the prophets." I wanted to gather you under my arms like a mother hen gathers her chicks. It broke his heart to see a city that was com- that was committed to its hard heartedness. So I think that as we as Christians teach the truth, preach the Bible, stand our ground on issues like human sexuality and God's design, we need to do it with a posture and a tone of humility and courage, but it needs to break our heart and it needs to give us tears. As we preach the truth, let's preach the truth with a broken heart. Yeah, that's good. Um, Let's get practical now. So we're heading into
1: winter conference and you have thousands of kids coming. So statistics tell me that there's going to be a percentage that are in this group we're talking about. And they're coming to the conference, even though they've been at church and they've been in churches and they've been uh, exposed to um, the the gospel or maybe not. Um, let's turn this around to the practical application. Okay, it happens. So where's the hope? And I'm thinking you may have some maybe possible examples of maybe something that happened at winter conference or one of your conferences where it's like, yeah, it happened. And this is where the hope is. And this is
0: this is Jesus. You know, one of the things we believe every time we put on a crossroads event, winter conference or summer camp or one of our speakers is preaching at a church, we believe that every time someone teaches the Bible that the Holy Spirit is active in that act that the Holy Spirit is going to take that word that comes out of that person's mouth from the scripture, and it's going to hit every soul in that audience. So what we do as a ministry at Crossroads, we don't check people's sins at the door. We, We don't go through and ask, so did you cuss last week? Have you cheated on a test recently? Are you an alcoholic? Are you hiding an addiction? Are you gay? No, no. We want everyone, all of us equally broken and equally loved by God, to feel the presence of God in that environment. We create environments where Jesus is the superstar. Jesus is the king. He's the center of attention. And what we've seen happen is we have seen the power of the gospel set people free from porn, alcohol, anger it's helped people overcome depression and anxiety and even their sexual sins whether it's an addiction to pornography whether it's sex with their boyfriend or their girlfriend or whether it's just that they've gotten sucked in to an agenda and they now decide i was born in the wrong body i want to identify as as something i wasn't born as what the gospel does is the gospel tells everybody to quote tim keller you are more broken than you ever dreamed but you are more loved by god than you ever imagined And so that's what happens in the room at Winter Conference. No matter how broken a student or an adult is, we're all there on equal footing and we all get to participate in and experience the love of God. And that's just
1: such the best news the love of God, number one, but also your willingness to talk openly about that because I think that to me just helps give people hope that, you know, you could have a perception of like, well, only Christians go there. Right. And they're all perfect. And maybe I'm not welcome because I'm not perfect and I know that I'm broken. And and it's just so wonderful and hopeful to hear that. So I thank yeah. you. And I thank you for the time today. And I look forward to Winter Conference. Tell, tell us just a little bit about uh, who, what, when, where, and
0: why. Uh, Crossers Winter Conference is going to be in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, uh, it's January the 12th through the 14th. This is our 26th year. We're expecting over 2000 teenagers, middle school and high school, and local youth groups can come from any church of any denomination, welcome to come. Just go to our website, you get all the information on how to register, how to book your hotel, crossroadswinterconference.com. I'm going to be preaching, going to get to hear from my wife Shari, our son Jacob, going to get to hear from Shaq Hardy and Chris. Chris Dew and Whitney Sullivan. Great worship. Great teaching. CrossroadsWinterConference.com. We'll see you there. It's going to be Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, January 12th through the 14th. Super. Can I pray for you?
1: Yes. Father God, thank you for Clayton. Thank you for uh, the time we've had here to talk about a very, very important subject and um, his heart for you and you as the singular only solution. And as we head into Winter Conference, Lord, I ask that you keep him and hold him and that you build him up and that you you um, just fill him with with all kinds of new ideas and new revelation as to how to talk and minister to these kids that are going to be there. And that, um, let's do a hundred percent this time, Mm. Lord, a hundred percent of all of those kids, um, have a profession of faith come to you, Lord in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.